Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1. And the Bible says, And Nadab and Abihu, two very common names today. They were the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. They took their censers, they put fire in them. And they put the censer thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord. He told them not to do that. It was a command of the Lord. Verse 2. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. I'll end with verse 3. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. I'm a holy God. And before all the people, I'll be glorified. Aaron held his peace. I'm preaching in a generation that's different from the former generations. And I'm preaching in an environment of great wealth and availability. We're living in a pocket of time where there are no pleasantries or conveniences withheld from us. Tammy and I were even talking this morning. You can rent things to make yourself look wealthy. It's called, it's an app or a program called Rent the Red Carpet. Something like that. Rent the Red Carpet. You can rent things, clothing, and you look like you're walking on the red carpet. Now you have to give it back. But for a moment you look like something. This is the opulence of our time. You were in a pocket of time. It may not always be like this, but right now we're in this pocket of time. It's birthed after the great generation that came home from World War II. We're still living on the blessings of the sacrifices of them. We complain a little bit about our kids being spoiled and people saying, well, in our day we didn't have internet. We made the internet. They didn't spoil themselves. Okay, that, that, I shouldn't have gone there because it's, ooh, that, that hurt. And whatever is happening in the world and in fact in our nation happens in the church. I wish it weren't so, but whatever we're dealing with out there, we're dealing with in here. And the Spirit has a, has a message a signal, if you will, to all the people that will hear the word today. I want you to know that when you walked into this house, although it looked familiar to you, something else is going on that you have not yet seen. So be very careful this morning before you think you just came to church. You did not just come to church today. Amen. 
Everybody said amen. I'm going to preach for a little while. Um, I'll talk for a little while. We'll see what happens. But before I do, let's just pray that the Lord will bless it. Just say in Jesus' name, bless the word. Bless me to receive it. Bless my neighbor, Lord, my friend sitting next to me so they would stay awake and pay attention. Amen. Everyone said amen. Turn to someone close to you and say they're the best looking person you've seen all day, but the day is not over. Tell them that. Tell them. You're the most beautiful person I've ever seen, except the day is not over. Still a chance. Many, many years ago, we had a friend, we were told this of their daycare, and there's a lot of little kids that went to this particular daycare, and I knew the little boy, his name was Daniel, the mother sent Daniel to the daycare. Um, When Daniel was five, they kind of held him back, so he was almost six when he was five, but almost six, Daniel was, of course signed up and and sent to kindergarten he was a very skinny little kid his mother always dressed him the same way he had khaki shorts and very skinny legs big glasses um for all those years she had picked him up promptly at twelve thirty, right after lunch and then uh of course she sent him to kindergarten his little legs they they would often protrude out of his shorts like toothpicks he was a funny little kid we found out that his vocabulary was not so savory he had learned some words didn't use them in the right context or syntax but they were not good words he said them with smiles and pleasantries His mother tried to keep him from saying those words without making it a big deal that he was saying something wrong or bad. Um, They were used as sometimes adjectives in the wrong place or a noun. When he went to kindergarten, he, he, the first day he, he was there, of course, it was just a new location, but he did not know the difference between day, uh, daycare, preschool, and kindergarten. And as his was, his routine right after lunch he he uh he packed up his bags he got his lunch box he put his backpack on he walked outside of the kindergarten school the school there and he waited for his mother on the sidewalk and the teacher told his mother this and she went she went looking for him no one could find daniel and finally she found him outside standing on the sidewalk he said she said daniel what are you doing out here and he said, well, I'm, I'm waiting for my mom. It was just a matter of fact. And the teacher said, well, Daniel, this is kindergarten. School is not over until 3 p.m. <laughs> to which Daniel said, in a very colorful way, and I'll leave out the color, well, who signed me up for this? Uh huh. I give the pass because the first time out, we're all a little unsure. The 
first day on a job or school or even a marriage, no one knows what to do. Tammy was very ill a couple of days during our honeymoon, and I did not know what to do. I called my father. <laughs> I've married a sick woman. <laughs> He walked me through the store, the CVS. The first baby, regardless of how many books you read, there's no real complete preparation. First days are like that. They share the cauldron of anxiety and trepidation. First days. With no history. It rarely defines the future. The first day does not really even show you the future. They enter with anticipation and are often rejected by the unknown. We knew a little more when Reagan was born because we had one son already. We knew a little more. And then now having two boys, we had to start over when our daughter Alexandra was born. So... We had the boy thing down. We still had boy clothes. We still had the onesies that looked like the boys. The diaper genies were in place. And then Alexandra was born and it kind of flipped us around a little bit. Of course, then by the time Nico was born, he was easy. We just let him be. He was raised by someone, wolves maybe. You know, I have to tell the truth when I'm standing here. I'll be struck down by lightning. <laughs> the first day, even the first month, nothing is settled. I, I even say it takes a full year to become acclimated. Time can teach us. Time is the distance required that moves us away from the first day. It helps our eyes to adjust and our minds to start to ponder thoughts we had not considered. And it's critical that you understand the words that open the page of this book, Leviticus, was the first day of service. That was the first day of service in the tabernacle of Moses. No one had ever served before. No one had ever done anything before. There was never a tabernacle. That was the first day. All the priests and those who were to serve the people before the Lord, they had all completed a seven-day consecration a period of time of purification, but that day that I read to you was the first day. That was the first day that the tabernacle saw lambs being offered. On the first day, those who were consecrated and stood before the Lord had to start the fire. They had to begin the flame, and then as the wood burned down, they were to take the coals from off of the altar and use it in their censers. But of course, we all know Hot coals take time. Burning the wood takes time. And it's much easier to bring something from your own home. There's no waiting or patience required. It's the first day, after all. Animal sacrifices inside the outer court. They, they were to be offered to the Lord, and that massive altar had just begun. But Nadab and Abihu decided that their way was better. So they brought their own coals they took a fire from some other place, which the Bible calls strange fire. They decided that any old fire would do. And God, surely God would understand the intent of their action. It's the first day, after all. Now, my human thought is to let it pass. 
I'm inclined to resign from a commentary. People make mistakes, of course. People are flawed. We all are. Even in the first year of service, I might caution myself from criticizing anyone. Adjustments need to be made, and they are always made during the first year. Perhaps Nadab and Abihu had good intentions, or maybe they found themselves in an unknown place. What is it that, that I'm missing in that moment that God would act so swiftly? What is it that would make God see their disobedience and release his own fire from the cloud of glory and consume them in an open display and in the course of their newfound duties. A flame, a heating flame, burned them up where they stood and their ashes fell to the ground as a baker pours pepper from a cup just down. There's nothing left of Nadab and Abihu. They're gone just in a moment, wiped from the forum, dismissed from their duties and with prejudice, erased from the priesthood forever. They have no sons, the Bible says, to carry on their name. I say that the word makes no sense to our civilized, westernized culture in this generation. We struggle to see it in full. A wrong action culminating in such a finality. They bring their own fire place their own coals in those dedicated censers. They walk into the holy place and from the hovering cloud, the presence with a capital P. God releases a consuming flame and they fall where they stand. I suppose that had this been the only time in scripture, perhaps I might just chalk it up to some outlier hidden in the holy writ. Had it just been Nadab and Abihu doing something mysterious or something cloaked from us, With no other examples or insights, maybe we could leave it there until we see the Lord face to face. Maybe in time we would figure it out. But the Bible does not leave us empty. Years, decades will pass, hundreds of years, and the children of Israel will garnish themselves monarchs. King Saul will be their first to lead them. He'll lead the nation. He'll tax them, conscript them. He did exactly what the prophet Samuel told them, warned the people he would do. He'll tax your earnings. He'll keep the best of your flocks. He'll make your sons his warriors and your daughters his servants. King Saul began well and he did well, but he quickly fell on the sharp edge of his own ego. It pierced his tender spirit and removed from him the prophet's voice. Worst of all, King Saul never inquired after the Ark of the Covenant all the days of his monarchy. It had been stolen. It had been gone. It was not in Jerusalem or is not where he was. He did not reinstitute the complete order of the tabernacle plan. They served God, but they did not have the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had been stolen years prior, and King Saul never went looking for it. Even though everyone knew where it was, Saul just did not think it was vital to his leadership to have God as the center. But David did. When David succeeded King Saul, the moment David united the kingdom, he pursued that acacia box, that golden covered box where the mercy seat rested. He raced after it. He brought a big group of people and found it at the house of Abinadab. The ark had been resting there for 20 long years. The ark was in plain sight all the time. Abinadab had it. He kept it. It was part of him, those around him. But David said, I must bring it back to Jerusalem, to which he launched a caravan to find it, and then he recovered it. Abinadab was there. His sons were there. They were all joining in the parade back to the great city of David. They put it on a new cart, guided along with oxen along that path. But on the way, as the oxen paused to shudder, 
atop a threshing floor, the Bible says. The Ark of the Covenant shook, perhaps slid toward the edge of that new cart. And Abinadab's son, Yuza, one of Abinadab's sons, Yuza, put forth his hand to steady the Ark of the Covenant. He reached up. And he put his hand to make sure it would not fall to the ground. And at that moment, the Bible says that God struck him dead where he stood. Yuza. Lifeless flame. He lay prostrate on the ground. The coldness of his body echoed the judgment of a great God. You ask a 21st century Christian, and they might tell you that God sees our intentions more than our actions. That God considers our intentions more than our act of obedience. I submit that many do not know the story and few know our God. What was it that caused such a thing that God, full of grace, of whom David wrote, His mercy is renewed every day. Great is thy faithfulness. He is slow to anger and of great kindness. What is it that arrests our attention that causes God's conclusiveness? The certitude of his divine will, irrefutable and without reproach, all laid open against those men who felt his judgment. The Lord has a word and the Spirit speaks it today. He showed it to me. You have to move into the New Testament to see in full, though. It's, it's not all manifest in the Old Testament. Find yourself in this little city of Nazareth if you can. It's not really a city. We, we found that quite possibly... That little place only had 20 different families living there. Maybe a couple of hundred people at best. It was small. A place where everyone knew everyone. Small towns are like that. Nazareth. Everybody knows everybody's business. <laughs> like the old party lines. We would listen. Scotty and I would pick up the phone and people would talk in party lines. When we were little kids, we'd listen to everyone's conversation. In our little town, Troy, we would listen to those conversations until finally some of them, they would knew, we, they could hear our breath and they would say, I know you Harpo boys are on the phone. You get off or I'm going to call your mother as soon as I hang up this phone. <laughs> I remember one time Scott picked up and said, Jeffrey, let's look, let's listen, let's listen. And they were talking, I don't know why we started laughing, we just started laughing. I know who you are, the lady said. <laughs> Little towns, party lines, Facebook, and quote-unquote prayer request. <laughs> They've been around a long time. You know the prayer request has been around a long time. I just want you to pray about this. <laughs> I want you to pray about those people. They need prayer. Well, what do they need prayer over? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> I've been told I can't repeat this for... So listen closely the first time. (laughs) People knew who Joseph was. They knew who Mary was. They knew the family. They were familiar with Mary. They knew the family. They knew how she grew up. They knew her parents. They knew everybody around. All the kids played together. They went to study together. People worked together. They might all have journeyed to Jerusalem for one or all of those three yearly festivals. We know that they came back with some of their own people. Jesus was a little boy among their little boys. They had seen him grow up. They had dinners with his parents. They were there at every season of his life. In fact, they saw what the scripture did not reveal to us. His childhood and his teenage years. We have no view of a 21-year-old Jesus. We have a 12-year-old Jesus, but we do not have between 2 and 12. And we do not have between 12 and 30. 
They knew him as a 25-year-old young man. And when he finally began his ministry, it was with some reluctance at a friend of the family's wedding. But see him move quickly. Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist gives the Lord introduction. Then we find him in the synagogue teaching. He's leading. He's uncovering the deep meanings of the Torah. No one had ever heard anything like that before. And the people of his own community said as much. And they said in Mark 6, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? The Bible says they were astonished. And yet for some reason they could not get over the fact that they had seen him so many times before. Even though Jesus had insights no one else had. And with such mighty works, how did they come? Wrought by his own hands, they could not get past their own familiarity. And they said, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon? And are not all the sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Why were they offended? Because they knew who he was. And they struggled to recognize him. So instead of putting him where he should be, they trapped him back in their own familiar setting. They defined him by what was common. They had no respect for him. Not because he was weak. Not because he was ignorant of the scripture. They were astounded by that. Not because he was powerless. The sick were healed by his own. He touched them. Jesus delivered the bound, afflicted. It was all true. But they bound him up and dismissed his authority because he was common to them. And no amount of miracles can overcome familiarity. No words of wisdom can reach beyond the boundaries of what is familiar and common. And the Bible says that Jesus, here I'll quote it, he could do no mighty work there save that he laid his hands upon a few people. They, they, they lost him. They trapped him. They boxed him in their perception of comprehension. And at the same time, they lost the treasure of the miracle he might have done in their lives because they said, don't we know you? We've seen you before. We've been here all along. We know your mama. We know your brothers. We know all, all of your sisters. We've watched you grow up. We know exactly where you've come from. We fed you. We clothed you. We, we, we talked about you. You were in our house. And now, remember those men who put those coals in their censers on that first day of the tabernacle, their first day on the job, and all that quandary about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let me tell you about them. They knew exactly what kind of God they were serving. Those two young men, they had spent days and months rehearsing their defined roles. Even if it was their first day doing one job, they knew what kind of God they were serving. They were there when their uncle Moses called down plagues from heaven upon the land of Egypt. Nadab and Abihu stood aghast at the power of God when Moses stretched forth his rod and parted the great Red Sea. They were witness to the destruction of the Egyptian army and they tasted the sweetness and healed waters of Mara when a tree was put inside of it. Nadab and Abihu were not oblivious to God's holiness. The smell that they had in their own nostrils, the smoldering fire of God and God's wrath when they stood before a burning fire they bowed their head they bowed their head when they saw the Lord and they stood at Mount Sinai they were there they knew exactly what kind of God they were serving but they were part of the family of the priesthood and they were familiar their father was the high priest and they were familiar 
Their aunt was Miriam and she was the song leader, the dancer, and the tambourine player. Their uncle was Moses who brought down the commandments from Sinai. They were in the inner circle and they knew all the stuff. They knew all the family conflicts and all the hypocrisies of the people. They knew all the dirt on everybody. They knew where people came from and how good they acted when they got out of their mess. Yeah, they knew their father's strengths and his weaknesses, especially when their father made a golden calf asics at the whims of the people. And they knew their uncle's weaknesses too. They become calloused toward the commandment of the Lord. It was it was old hat. It wasn't that they did not know what the coals were to be used for. They just didn't think it mattered because they were familiar. I've been there. I've done that. I know all the grime. Hey, listen, I know where those people came from. You know that guy that worshipped all the time and person now standing up and they teach some class. I know where they came from. I knew them way back when. The closer you get in that inner circle, the more dangerous it is for your spirit. Because you start prejudging based upon an old fact. They became hard to it. Because they were in the family, you know. I'll tell you, one of the worst things that could ever happen to a leadership family is for that family to remember where the people came from. I've struggled with myself. When my father had a business meeting one year at the church. I don't know why I was at the business meeting. It must have meant I was in trouble. I never had to go to the business meetings unless I was in trouble. I made every business meeting. <laughs> Somebody talked about the church van. Well, dad's car broke down. He was driving the church van. Let me tell you, it wasn't a nice van. It was a yellow van. It was a nasty van. We were embarrassed of the van. But dad drove the van. Consequently, I drove the van. Now let me tell you, you don't take anybody out in a church van. Little fumes coming out of the middle console where the, where the motor is, you know. That van didn't even have a cover over the motor. But somebody at the business meeting decided to stand up and say, I've got an issue with the use of the church van. And I remember where that guy came from. He was a wreck and a mess. His life was in shambles. <laughs> I got other names for him too. I swallow. He's doing okay today, I think. And I had to look at that guy. And I had to consider him. Because it bothered me. Because when you know the arrogance of somebody and where they came from, it'll disturb you. And you will come to believe that nothing matters and you can take any old fire because God don't care. God, he put judgment that day and God said, no, I'm not looking for a, for a irreverent people. I am looking for a reverent, holy people who will obey me because I'm too holy. Hear this. I'm too holy to be treated with such contempt. And God erased their lineage from the annals of time. 
And I know that we can see it, but some have asked about Yuza. He was doing a good thing. He was studying the Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't like the other guys, Pastor. It might have been falling. It might have fallen off the cart. What if it fell down? What if God fell down? What if the church, what if the service fell? The problem is that no one was allowed to touch it. No one should ever touch it. That was the commandment of God. And I say to everybody, no one should ever touch the sacred things of God. It was written. And I submit that more churches would be better off if when things need to fall just let them fall at least we would know how we ought to live than to artificially prop something up and act like we're good if things need to fall and you need to confess and you need to resign from something you get in the altar and you say it's got to fall I'm just going to let it fall but Yuza grew up around the ark you see he had been with it a long time it was in his house since he was a child he was a baby 20 years living with that golden glowing box of the lord seeing the golden cherubim bow before each other every day he got used to it he was accustomed to the ark of the covenant the ark that had been hidden behind the veil the ark that no one got to see the ark that was covered up all the time that only the priest got to see it and got to be with it while it was cold and glowing the beautiful ark of the covenant he grew up with it in his living room he grew up with it in his home the ark was not a holy thing to him it was just another piece of household furniture Mm -hmm. he didn't think anything about touching it because he was accustomed and familiar and jesus spoke through john the revelator and said of the church of ephesus i know you've worked hard revelation chapter 2 I know you persevered, Jesus said. I know that you've endured hardships and you're, you, had, you had good judgment when it came to false doctrine and false teachers. But I have something against you, he said. You used to love me. Couldn't wait to worship me. You used to run to see me. You set your schedule and your clock by the evening sacrifice. And now I've got awe against you because you've lost your awe. You've lost your first love. You used to come and you used to be so hungry. You couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait to get to the altar. You didn't care what anyone else thought. You just said, I just got to get there. But now you live in opulence. You live where you have everything. Now you don't have to struggle. You don't even really think about how good I've been. Instead, you come in and cruise in and wonder when it's going to be over. I think it's... I don't know what it is. I'll just chalk it up to maybe life, gray hair. They've asked me to preach different places, conferences and conventions and teaching. It's kind of a neat thing sometimes. Sometimes it's not so good. A couple years ago, I preached the last night of a convention. People came. It was a church. It was pretty full. The Holy Ghost moved. The power of the Holy Ghost came over everyone that that night. I began to lay hands on people as they came to the altar. Other ministers were praying for folks. A lady came up. She had a wound on her neck. We prayed for her. I was careful not to put my head, my hand on her head, just just on her shoulder lightly. And in that moment of prayer, I, I asked God to heal her body. I proclaimed the word, the blood of Jesus, with your stripes we are healed. I said in Jesus' name, by the authority of the word, the power that's in the name. She was instantly healed. And that later, even that evening, she said, I cannot, I cannot even comprehend it. Every pain is gone. God has healed me. It was phenomenal. It was an incredible moment. And I saw people at the altar, a man dancing. 
he was, he was dancing and to my right and there was deliverance. There was power all over that house and, and, and so many people were delivered and, and I had preached and, 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 and my shirt was wrung out and I think I probably spent as much time in the altar praying for people as I had preaching from the pulpit. And then I had noticed a couple people, they didn't move and they, they kind of clapped a little bit and they were there. They, they worshiped a little bit, maybe raised their hands. I'm not sure if that constitutes worship, but I noticed him and he wasn't really engaged, but he came up to me after it was all over and, and he was very excited. He said, Hey, he said, do you remember me? Of course, I did not remember him. I don't even remember where I put my car keys. My kids gave me a tile. It's a little it's a little tile. It, 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 it's, it's a GPS tile. You connect it to your car keys. And then if you lose your car keys, you can just go to your phone and you can just you know, punch a couple buttons in it and, and, and the tile starts to ding, ding, ding. You could find your car keys. It's a wonderful thing, except when you can't find your phone. <laughs> what? <laughs> I got to go to my computer. My computer has a little GPS where my phone is. It's in the house. That doesn't help me at all. <laughs> then you can have your phone ding. I got my phone dinging. It's ringing. It's ringing. Ah, it's in the couch. It's down in the couch. Get it out. Now let's find the car keys. Listen, the event is over by the time I get in the car. Uh-huh. I don't know who this guy is. Of course I didn't remember him. But I said, trying to be kind, because my wife taught me this, help me a little bit to remember he said, we went to youth camp together in Westphalia. <laughs> Still nothing, zero, zero. <laughs> Forty years ago is a long time ago. It's a lifetime. I'm still burning from the message and the people at the altar. I'm still on fire. I can't switch my brain. So when you come up after I am preaching and praying people and seeing them delivered and baptized with the Spirit and tell me that your puppy had dogs, forgive me because my first inclination is I hope they die. Sorry, not, I told you I had to tell the truth. Just don't talk telling me about your dogs. I'm praying for people to be delivered. <laughs> uh -huh. I couldn't remember. I didn't know. He's... He had sat there that entire night while the word went forth. And he said to me, I, I knew you when you were a teenager, when you were 12. I was amazed while you were preaching. I never thought you'd be a preacher. I just kept thinking while you were preaching, I can't believe he's preaching. He said, I could get over the fact that I knew you when we went to youth camp. Hear me, that man bypassed the word of God because he wasted the moment through the acquaintance and familiarity. Youth camp? You missed the entire message because of something that happened 40 years ago. We were playing softball and I don't know what we were doing, chasing girls. Are you bitter? Maybe I took your girlfriend. <laughs> I don't know. You mean you missed the opportunity to be healed because you can't get me out of Westphalia? You trap me as a 12-year-old in a dirty old campground in the middle of nowhere that's now been shut down and deceased and it's over? I'll tell you what, it's the crime of the common and it happens every day in this house. It's us thinking that we know what we know when in reality none of us really know what is available right now in the spirit. You 
don't even know what place you've come into. You think you've came to the church that you're familiar with, but I got a word for you. You didn't come to a place where you are familiar. The Lord God, Jehovah, is in this house today. I know you think that you know who I am and you think you know who your brother and your sister is but what you don't know is that the Lord is powerful inside of them and if you would just reach across they've got power to set you free oh somebody ought to clap their hands unto the Lord yes I've commissioned, I've been commissioned by the Holy Spirit of promise to sell somebody. Don't assume that you know what is possible and what is not. God is ready to do something in your life that you have never felt before. He can do it right now. He can do it right now. Right where you're sitting, he can do it right now. He wanted to do it while we were singing. He wanted to do it while we were praying. He can do it right now. Hey, here's the word, here's the word. Psalm 33, are you ready? By the word of the Lord, ah, come forth. The heavens were made a single word and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Every star, every blue star, every orange star, every yellow star, every galaxy, all the Milky Ways stacked upon and stacked upon stacked galaxies folded together. All the black holes, everything that ever was, he spoke it by the breath of his own mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap just wiped them all up and he laid them out. Then in the depth of the storehouses, he set them in order. He put the boundaries of the oceans with shorelines. And the Bible says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake. And it was done. Say it. It was done. Somebody say it. It was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Let me tell you right now. That same God that spoke all those things into existence. What you didn't know when you walked in here. And you thought it was just a familiar place. The Lord God Jehovah walked in here too. With the breath of his own mouth. He can change everything about your life. Hey. We've come in here looking like it's familiar, but this was not the same place that you left last time you were here. We sung the familiar songs and we see the same things, but I want to tell you, God is in this house and he can do anything. I'm telling somebody here today, do not die in your familiar place. Don't die where you're sitting. Don't rest. Don't relax where you are. God is in here. Oh, but Pastor, you don't understand. I've been here a lot. I've been coming to church a long time. I was here when you opened up the doors. I haven't missed a church service. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care if you've been here a thousand times. Today is a different day. The Holy Ghost is in this house. You don't even know where you came. You thought this was your church house. This is the house of God. Stand
stand with me right now. I feel the spirit of the Lord is moving in this place. I'm provoking you to a good thing. In the name of Jesus, I pray, let us reach beyond the boundaries of familiarity. Lord, we honor you and we stand in awe of you. Ah. I have a lot more to preach, but I just feel like we need to be led of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to preach longer. I think you've got it. And if you don't have it, you're going to be trapped in your own familiar place. Don't die where you stand. Um, this has happened to Tammy and I for a long time now it's happened a long time I don't know how the Lord does it but we prayed a prayer I prayed a prayer and she did too we prayed individually and corporately together we prayed this prayer that God would give us the power to forget the things we hear you think I remember your story of tragedy or of failure. But it doesn't take long when I forget that. For me to remember that, you have to remind me. This just happened to us a couple weeks ago. Maybe three weeks ago it happened to us again. I forgot an old story. I prayed the prayer because I grew up in the family of the priesthood. And I had to forget or I would be bitter and entangled. And if I didn't learn the power of putting people's junk outside of my mind, I would always filter everything I would say and do by what they did years ago. But thank God, I'm going to tell you right now, whatever you did yesterday, it is gone. All you have to do is say, I put it under the blood in Jesus' name, and he's going to erase it from his record. And tell me, but Pastor, you don't understand what happened this last week, okay? But did you repent? Yes. Did you ask God to forgive you? Yes. Well, you're here today. Because, see, if I don't, if I don't pray that God would help me to erase that, then what happens is this pulpit changes, and the sermon changes, and the intent of my heart trumps. The intent and the direction and command of the Spirit. And my intent, no matter how good I think it is, is no match for the goodness of God. My righteousness is filthy rags. And I say today, you don't get trapped in your place. You've just walked in. And along the corridors of this church, standing at attention, are the angels of the Most High God. Here, Pastor... There are warrior angels standing in this house ready to do warfare and battle on your behalf. There are mending, ministering spirits that God has given the power of healing to bring you the word and healing for your mind, your loss, your struggle, your hurt, and your pain. The angels of the Lord, the Bible says it. The angels of the Lord encamp around about them that fear him and they deliver them
What you didn't know was that the Shekinah glory of the presence of God, I feel it right now, just resting upon all the people. And all you have to do is speak his name. The Bible says you believe there's one God. Hey, the devils, James said the devils believe and they tremble. Every time you speak the name of that one God, Jesus, you are making a wave in hell. And you are disbanding all of the power of the Most High God. Everything that he ever was and everything that he shall ever be is wrapped up in the name. And when you say in Jesus name in Jesus name I believe it in Jesus name something can happen to you hold on hold on some of you are still conflicted because you think you know the end of the story you don't know it you don't know the end of my story and you don't know the end of your story and you don't know the end of everyone else's story in here I'm going to tell you even when people fall down the Bible says the righteous fall seven times and gets back up again why is that I'll tell you because it's not over it's not over even if you think it's over it's not over our God is a great God and the angels are here and I believe in a God that calleth those things which be not as though they were I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Several pastors have been asking me this. What's the difference between Sunday morning and Sunday night? Why is it, that's what they say, why is it that Sunday night feels so much more exciting? Well, I mean, there's several reasons for that probably. I mean, it could be a biological thing. It could be, you know could be leap year and you might have lost an hour I don't know I'm not sure maybe you had a bad night maybe you ate pizza the night before I'm not sure maybe people work all night come to church and they're just a little weary I get it what is it about Sunday morning and Sunday night what, what's the difference my feeling is this it has nothing to do with the hour the time it doesn't mean the moment it's not the work schedule it's that we believe and have an expectation our spirits are more open we get into Sunday night we think oh man it's going to be good tonight and your expectation opens the door to the Lord's provisions and power and if you'll stand there right now and know God can do everything right here that he can do on any p.m. any other day God will do it because God Hear me, the Lord is only limited by our expectation of him. And when we think, I've been there, I've done that. What we're saying is, I know who you are, Lord. I know your mama. Jesus, I know your brothers, your sisters. I've seen you. I've seen this before. I'm going to tell you right now, you've never seen anything like this. You've never seen anything. You've never been here before. You've never been on, on March 8th, 2000. What is the year? 20? 2020. Praise God. I almost went to the next year. You've never been here before. You don't know what this is. You don't know what deliverance power is in this house. It's all over here. Hear me. Do you know that right now while I'm preaching, all you have to do is pray and God can release you from year or years or a lifelong addictions. Do you know what God can do? He can fill you with joy and take away your spirit of heaviness and give you a garment of praise. 
in a single moment. And I'm not trying to be condescending, but if you don't think he can, then he can't. Because he'll marvel at our unbelief and say he cannot do any great thing just to heal a few people, but he wants to heal everybody. Do you know what the desire of the Lord is? To heal everybody in this house. You, you are destined for a healing and a miracle in your life right now today. You have got to climb out of what is familiar and say, it's not so familiar to me. I've never been at this place before. Come on, you know this how this goes, right? You know how this goes. Some of you understand this. Do you know that tomorrow we'll have four, Nico's turning 13, we'll have four teenagers in our house. Tomorrow is his birthday. He'll, he'll be 13. Now, I don't know really what that means. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be very little difference between today and tomorrow. But I'm believing. <laughs> We've never been at this juncture before where we have four children who have their own opinions and we now have to negotiate. You thought it was hard. Now, you have no idea. Wait. They're all laughing, giddy, you know. You'll, you'll wish for the diaper genie, Greg. You'll wish for it. <laughs> We've never been at this past before. You've never been here before. You think you've been here. In fact, you've sat in that same seat how many Sundays asking God for help, but thinking it's always going to be the same. I want to say to somebody, the Lord has walked in this house. All you have to do is honor him and respect him and call him holy and say, you are the great God. I believe you can heal my body. I believe you can save my family. I'm believing right now for my children to come back to God. I'm believing, Lord, you're going to help my finances, going to heal them. I believe in Lord, you're going to save my whole, my whole neighborhood. I believe you can heal my friend and you can heal me and you can touch me and you can restore me you got to find that God is a great God stop being familiar you've never been here before come on just reach out right now to the Lord if you'll call on him he will hear your cry and he will answer you and he will restore you and he will touch you and he will raise you up ah that's right, that's right. Come on, just reach out to Jesus. He's in this house. This is your Savior, your King, the Lord of glory. That's right, just take a step out of your pew. Today is the day for you to be filled and baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The evidence of speaking other tongues for the Spirit gave the utterance. Just step out of your pew right now and just walk to this front and lift up your voice in your hands and say, Lord, I'm calling on you, Lord, because I know you are here. I know you are here, Lord, and I've got an expectation of your power. I've got an expectation of your miracle. I pray about it, Lord. I'm singing, Lord. I believe in you, Lord. That's right, that's right. Come on, we're doing it right now in Jesus' name. We're doing it right now in Jesus' name. Everybody, come.